Welcome to the Public Safety Hour on WTMJ Now. It's time to take a look at the issues facing public safety officials in Wisconsin and across the country. Joining Steve Scafidi, here's your expert, Annie Schwartz. Oh, she loves it when we call her experts. Annie Schwartz, law enforcement and communications expert. I do. Good morning. Good morning. Remember the definition of an expert. Anyone more than 100 miles from home with a briefcase. Yeah. <laughs> It figures you have some sort of informal definition of that of that important I've, title for everything. Because what is what is my job, Steve? To break it down for people so that you know it, it's in little bite-sized, understandable pieces. I so. love the fact that you always bring great guests, and today is another great example of that. So we have spent I have spent a lot of my seven plus years on the radio talking about. Crime in Milwaukee, things that we are dealing with as a community, and uh, you brought a, a great guest to the program for this hour today, Kent Lovern. He's the Chief Deputy District Attorney for the County of Milwaukee. Welcome, sir. Thank you, Steve. And you and I have known each other for uh, probably about 15 years or so. We've obviously worked together on the, on the Sikh Temple shooting and some other of the, uh, the big cases that uh, have occurred in our community. Um, you're here today because you're running for the big job, District Attorney for the uh, County of Milwaukee. That's right. So I, I always have to ask the why question. I, I, I know you've been there for 27 years. 26, yep. 26. So that makes sense, but what, what's your why answer? You know, I've uh, lived in this county with my wife now for almost 30 years. We've raised our kids here. We love Milwaukee County. Uh, we think it's a great place to live and raise a family. And I've uh, been grateful for my 26 years as a prosecutor in this office. And um, it's important to me to, to have a community that's safe, to have the community that I live in to be safe. And, and, um, and I've had the experience of working with a lot of groups outside of the criminal justice system with law enforcement over the years. And I've appreciated the uh, relationships I've built and um, the strategies that we've employed that I know can make our community safer. And I, and I want that responsibility. I always want folks to know who the people that we have on the show are, where you've come from. So kind of give us the, you know, the one-minute bio on, on where Kent Lovern came from. Sure. I'm a Midwesterner all the way. I grew up in Wichita, Kansas, uh, moved to Sioux City, Iowa when I was in uh, high school and, and met my wife, Susan, at the University of Iowa Law School. She is the uh, brightest lawyer in our family. No question about that. We moved here because <laughs> of her job in 1995, and uh, we've been here ever since. I love it. That, I always say women are smarter than men. That, that's a great thing that you started with there. Which already means that, that Kent is the smartest guy because <laughs> the two of you acknowledge yes. that we hold the power. Completely, the completely. Ones. Women are, the, are the, the backbone, the infrastructure, the brains of the operation generally. And we, yeah, I think it's great that we both right. agree on that. Yeah. So let's, let's, we talked about the why. Obviously, crime in Milwaukee is a hot-button topic. You, you, I'm sure you listen to talk radio occasionally. Maybe you don't, but it's certainly something we talk about. So when we're talking about violent crime, talk about your potential role as the top enforcer, really, right? The person that decides when to prosecute, how you prosecute cases. Walk through that for us. Well, there's no question that uh, public safety is top of mind for everyone in Milwaukee County right now. Uh, everyone deserves to live safely in their communities or in their neighborhoods, regardless of where they live in Milwaukee County. And everyone right now is incredibly concerned about it, and they should be. Uh, so so f to start with, um, the reason that I want this job is because um, I want our community to be safer. Uh, I've got the experience to understand the strategies you need to employ to make it safer. And the first and foremost is, with regard to violent crime, uh, there has to be a firm, strong, consistent response to violent crime. No question about that. That's non-negotiable. Uh, and by violent crime, I mean not only crimes with firearms that we think about or sexual assaults, certainly, uh, but, but clearly the driving we see, the reckless driving, the car thefts, uh, are a violent crime in my view, and they have to be treated as such. You know, Kent, I'm, I'm 
sitting here thinking about what you and I have worked together for every one of those 26 years, I think, because uh, I'm 126 <laughs> years old. So, um, but when we're talking about violent crime and it's a big subject with with the with the community, there I, it feels to me as somebody who's been always in communication that we really have an education process to do with the community uh, when it comes to teaching people the role of the DA's office, because it's really easy to, to throw blame around to the police. I think it's misunderstood judges. by a lot of people. Absolutely. So maybe you can, can help a little bit with that discussion about, um, about uh, the role of the, the DA's office in the big picture that is violent crime in the, in the city. Well, certainly. Um, you know, we're part of the system, and the system includes, of course, law enforcement on the ground level, working with community to solve crime when something happens. Re- law enforcement police officers respond to that. Uh, they bring cases into us. I think one thing that's important to remember is that police officers make arrests based on probable cause, which is a standard that means somebody probably did the crime, right? Um, they bring the case into us after doing an investigation. Sometimes they bring people into us from the community who might be witnesses to it, and we meet with them in our office. Um, sometimes people don't want to cooperate with the police from the beginning of an investigation, and we deal with what the outcome might be due to that. Um, and the fact is, then, our standard for proving cases in court, getting a conviction, ultimately, is that we have to have proof beyond a reasonable doubt, which is a much higher standard than, of course, the probable cause standard that police officers have. Do you think people understand the relationship between the district attorney's office and law enforcement? Is is there constant communication? Is there is a strong relationship? Is that relationship fractured? I don't know. So... Fill us in. Yeah, what I'd say is overall in Milwaukee County, we have a very good relationship with among our law enforcement partners and with our DA's office. Where I would say we have work to do is because everyone's gotten younger in the last several years. So, for example, in my office alone, we've turned over 40% of our attorneys in the last four years. That's an amazing the- statistic to me, Kent. When you, when you and I talked about that, I just I can't even fathom that. Yeah, it's difficult, and the, the the salary structure is, of course, a concern that has driven people out of our office who would otherwise love to do the work. Um, at the same time, police agencies have lost a lot of experience due to retirement, too. So we have to reset that relationship a little bit, I think, on the ground level each and every day between the members of the criminal justice system. And you want to be part of that reset, reason you're running for Absolutely. district attorney. Absolutely. Kent Loverner is our guest in this hour on the Public Safety Hour with Annie Schwartz. We'll take a break here. After the break, it's a question I get a lot, I get asked a lot as well. Uh, youth offenders and some of the things that are happening. Uh, I've heard it described as catch and release. Certainly, I know you have thoughts on it and how we stem that tide. You're listening, of course, to the Public Safety Hour on WTMJ. This girl is on fire. Oh, Annie Schwartz has her own walk-up music. Of course she does. Do. I think, you know what, I think that everybody should have their own walk-on music. I think Kent is going to have to, Kent Lover in here, <laughs> right. is, is, should have something like when you walk in court or when you walk into a yeah. meeting. That's why I love having walk-on Something music. that Kent will have to think about. Kent Lover, and he's uh, sure joining he's us. To. Chief sure Deputy District Attorney, currently running for District Attorney for the County of Milwaukee. All right, so I mentioned it before the break. Um, one of the areas that people get very passionate about is the recurrence of very young people committing some very serious crimes in Milwaukee. And, uh, you know, the age of offenders is getting younger and younger. As a deputy district attorney, as a candidate for district attorney, how do we address this? How do we fix this problem? Well, again, um, it, it gets back to the type of crime being committed. So if a young person is committing a violent crime towards someone else, we have to respond strongly. And the, and the issue here is, regardless of the youth of the offender for a violent crime, um, a strong message has to be sent of removing that person from the community. Um, 
the opportunity that could exist and can exist with young people, of course, is that if they uh, step into the system for something nonviolent or something um, less uh, harmful or not harmful to someone else, but perhaps to themselves, is there can be opportunities to try to intervene with them early on to, to indicate to them that this is inappropriate and that the penalties were, will clearly go up. Um, the challenge for us is we're only one part of it in the DA's office out at the Children's Court Center, and it's really driven by um, the Department of Human Services and the groups that they have come in to help uh, address this with the children. We've yeah. talked about changes throughout the years. You you had mentioned that uh, it, it, it's shocking even to you, somebody who spent this much time you know working with the system at the age, at the youth. Of these of these offenders, right? I think we're all deeply concerned about it. Even going back to my years in the gun unit, twenty years ago, we were prosecuting firearms offenders through Operation Ceasefire, and we were surprised at that time how young the offenders were who were felons in possession of a firearm. And the ages are only getting younger. How much can the district attorney's office do about that? So I, I've had lots of conversations with public safety professionals over the years, and they said. Literally, it's the same names over and over and over and over again. Some of these people have 15 contacts, 25 contacts. In that office, in that potential role that you would serve in as DA, what can you do about that? What we have more control over is in the adult system once an individual is 17 or older because we decide ultimately... Uh, what gets charged and what goes into the court system. At the Children's Court Center, uh, the first stop for cases is often uh, through the Department of Human Services, and then a decision is made by that department to decide whether something should come to the DA's office or not. So so the opportunities for intervention on, on nonviolent offenses rest with them generally, and then, um, then our role steps in if it's uh, a violent offense. And what we do is make recommendations, ultimately. I think it's important to highlight the fact that once, once a case gets into the system, the, the most important actor is the judge, and judges play an incredibly important role in our community, in the justice system, ultimately, once cases come into the court system. I talk about that relationship with law enforcement, relationship with the uh, judicial community. How is that? Well, right. It's important to know this is where um, we have checks and balances, right? Because I'm a member as a prosecutor of the executive branch, and we have the judicial branch that comes in and oversees everything that gets brought into the system. It's the way it's designed um, for good reason, right? So ultimately, uh, they are the deciders of what happens with regard to cases that we bring into the system, and we make recommendations about how a case ought to be handled, ought to be disposed of. Not to belabor this point, but... If you're lucky enough to be the next district attorney of Milwaukee County, what difference or what perspective do you bring to the office that's not there currently? If there is one. I think it's important to elevate the conversation right now around crime and what how we respond to it and what our response as a DA's office is. It's probably not been talked about enough uh, until something bad happens and blame is sent around to everyone. I think it's more important now and... Frankly, that's why I appreciate the opportunity to have a campaign is to talk about this and to elevate the conversation around what the DA's office will do. What I'm saying I will do as the district attorney and directing our response to violent crime and also how uh, we interplay with the other partners in the uh, criminal justice system, law enforcement, judges, defense lawyers, all of whom have a role in this process. You know, we were talking about your perspective. Steve used that word from your perspective. A lot of people, I think, don't know that that you really have been on the you you've been the boots on the ground in a lot of different different places in the in the justice system. The um, we talked about the the gun unit about Haida. Can you maybe mention some of those of those things so that you know people know what you bring to the to the table? Sure. Over twenty years ago, John Chisholm, in fact, was asked to to start the firearms unit in Milwaukee County, and in conjunction with the U.S. Attorney's Office, we took a very strong stance against 
uh, people possessing firearms illegally. And it was part of a national program. We prosecuted uh, gun offenders uh, at a very assertive rate and uh, inappropriately so, frankly. Uh, and uh, so I was part of that team very early on in that unit. Uh, and then I moved from that unit to uh, the high-intensity drug trafficking area, which uh, combats uh, organized drug gang groups, uh, multi-jurisdictional law enforcement uh, members, state, federal, local, all in one, one building, essentially working on some of that broader crime that's occurred in our region. You know, it's interesting because you're talking about the gun unit. The whole DA's office is the gun unit now, isn't it? It feels that way to, well, to me as a, as a resident. Certainly, non-fatal shootings are on the rise and stay persistently high right now, uh, even as homicides have gone down. Um, and so you're right. I'm, I mean, we're, the prevalence of firearms right now is of deep concern to all of us. That was my next question. And so if you look historically, and you've been around for you said 26 years, in that time period, possession of illegal People possessing uh, possessing illegal firearms. How has that gotten worse over those twenty six years? What I think has happened is uh, firearms are much more widespread now than they used to be, and the lethality of firearms has increased. So it used to be twenty years ago you would very rarely see an automatic firearm. Uh, mostly, what we had were semi automatic pistols. But now today you see um, on regular occasions uh, people who have attached switches to firearms that make them automatic and allow them to spray ammunition uh, at a very high rate now. Uh, that's something that you know was very rare years ago. Given the rights that people have to own firearms legally, does that kind of creep into this? I know there's, there's talk about red flag laws and all that stuff. How much can we actually do to control that when people are stealing guns from people that have bought them you know, the right way. Um, they're, they're acquiring them from illegal means. How much control do we have over that issue? Because we really, frankly, in this state, in this country, haven't done a lot to curb the possession of guns. Well, you're right about that, Steve. And, and now we have guns, uh, that are easily accessible to anyone who wants one. So it's of deep concern now. I think we still have to find the places where we can make some progress. And, and I don't see why a red flag law isn't something that shouldn't be considered here in this state. Yeah, I'm going to explore that in, in more detail. I've got to take a break here. After the break, I want to talk about community. It's a it's an often used word in policing, but there's also partnership opportunities. And I know you've been involved in some of this stuff. You started one with the uh, Sojourn, Sojourner folks, and I want to get into some of that. Also, your work with Urban Stables, a project I wasn't aware of that works with teens and vets. So I want to explore that connection because I think that's uh, an area of um, improvement that we might be able to see by working with teens and other individuals who may be struggling that we can get to them earlier. Kent Lovern, our guest, he's currently the Chief Deputy District Attorney in the County of Milwaukee, running for DA in Milwaukee County. We'll finish after, or not finish the conversation, we'll continue the conversation after this on WTMJ. Thanks for joining the political, I call it the political power hour, but it's the public safety hour. Andy Schwartz, our expert, subject matter expert on communications and, and law enforcement. And public Don't you have safety. enough shows? Don't you have enough shows I that do. you can get the one where I come into play for one hour a week? Get that name right for goodness. There can always be more shows, Annie. There can always. Our be guest more. today, Kent Lover, and he's the chief deputy district attorney for the county of Milwaukee, and he's running for Milwaukee County DA. I mentioned before the break, um, communities and oft, often you're used. For, I can't speak today for some reason. Often used phrase. And it is uh, something that's, I think, sometimes is overused, but it is important. And in your position as the deputy district attorney, you've started to do some of these things, and I would think that would kind of move well into your potential role as district attorney of Milwaukee. So talk about the community par partnerships you've worked with and your pet project, which is called Urban Stables. 
Well, I've had uh, the opportunity to work with a number of community groups over the years, and that's been a real privilege of my job, to be sure. Um, the Stables is a is a concept that was developed uh, by the downtown business committee, community, including Beth Weirich and uh, others who were interested in finding a permanent home for the MPD Mounted Patrol, which uh, some know had horses uh, oh, yeah. down by the train station and other terrible places for horses. Uh, and the idea was to build a center for them to have a permanent home and also uh, house equine therapy horses, which is a commonly used uh, therapy module for um, people who don't respond well to in-office therapy. And so uh, this was built. Uh, the business community was a big player. I've been an active member of the Downtown Rotary Club for a long time, so I you know, helped uh, steer uh, that through the Rotary Club, and we had a lot of support from the Rotary Club in Milwaukee for this, and a number of volunteers that built a state-of-the-art stable at uh, First in Lincoln and um, – and it now houses therapy for uh, young people. We have a, um, uh, a relationship with Rawhide Youth Services. Sure, Fox Valley. great organization. Right, uh-huh. uh, and we've had young people coming in there now for three years to get therapy. Uh, young people from the city of Milwaukee and within Milwaukee County. Uh, and uh, it also, we've now started programs for vets as well. Uh, veterans have responded really well to this type of therapy. Um, we mentioned Sojourner. What, what's the work that you do with them? Yeah, for a long time I was on that board, uh, for over 20 years, in fact. And, and uh, what we wanted to do there about uh, 15 years ago was co-locate domestic violence services and other therapeutic services with law enforcement. And we saw models around the country that had some success, and we built our own model here. Uh, what we built here with the help of Children's Hospital and Peggy Troy as the leader at Children's was the largest family violence center in America at 6th and Walnut. And it has provided a host of services for women and children uh, and men, too, who need them. Shelter on site as well. Um, Children's has a big piece there. Sexual assault treatment services are available, uh, and and it has been a um, you know a, a haven for people to come and receive the need uh, the the treatment they need while while uh, seeing a prosecutor when they need to as well. <laughs> You know, one of the things that you're that you're talking about, Kent, is we're, we're talking about the about Sojourner, uh, which is now the Sojourner Family Peace Center, right? Correct. I think it was uh, the Sojourner Truth House when I was uh, young and uh, and a reporter. But I think that it's I, I feel like it's important to mention the fact that you were really on the on the ground for that. And when we're talking about co-locating interviews with uh, DAs and police with the the center. I think we need to talk about how important that is, especially in light of the fact that when when we're we're looking at at, at budgets, when we're looking at, at what's going on, you know, statewide, we're looking at uh, you know these child advocacy centers, these centers where where we make it easier for people to report crime. It's important to do that because uh, the courthouse complex is a daunting place to go, <laughs> and and it's not a friendly place. And and again, when we're thinking about people who are uh, in a moment of crisis, they need to be in a place where they feel secure, where they feel welcomed, where they feel respected. And uh, having the law enforcement piece alongside um, social workers and therapists in the same house allows um, uh, a victim to not have to repeat their story over and over and over again. And it allows for a seamless 
um, transition of services as needed between law enforcement and public safety and also the social service side. And it, and it just dignifies people who are in a, at a time of need. And that's what we want. We ultimately want people to reach out to the resources in our community because isolation otherwise is a very dangerous place for vulnerable people to be. And those centers are especially, or, or those locations are especially valuable when it comes to uh, uh, child victims, right? Absolutely. Again, it's important for children to feel comfortable when they give a statement about abuse or neglect they may be enduring, and it's uh, important that they have an opportunity to tell their story in a very safe place. Our guest is Kent Lovern. He's the uh, current chief deputy, district attorney, county of Milwaukee, running for DA in Milwaukee. Um, after the break, I want to ask a couple of questions. I've been kind of monitoring the, the text line where our, our audience can kind of weigh in. And a couple of things, of phrases that come to mind, consequences for bad behavior. Um, also, another one that, that uh, came up was um, tough on crime. I just want to get your general thoughts on that. Our conversation will continue after this on WTMJ. Public Safety Hour with Annie Schwartz, law enforcement communications expert, our special guest today, Chief Deputy District Attorney Kent Lovern from the uh, DA's office in Milwaukee. Um, I, we were talking during the break and before the break about some of the, the, the terms that get thrown out. Tough on crime, consequences for bad behavior, habitual criminals as they relate to your office. Walk through that, some of that for us. Sure, and it fits with what I am saying uh, my commitment to this community will be, which is to be tough and um, have a strong response to people who commit violent crime. People who are hurting other people need to be dealt with in a firm, consistent manner. What does that mean in plain English? It means jail or prison. It means removing them from the community that they are endangering by their behavior. So I think we can... Not easily, but but generally put people into one of two categories, people who are hurting others who deserve that strong response and people who are hurting themselves uh, that may be better equipped for some different response outside the system. Sort of related to that, uh, and again, great text question, um, any changes in legislation or law that would make your job more effective or more efficient? Well, I think one thing we've seen from the legislature that has been helpful, and this this goes to um, maintaining the staffing of experienced prosecutors, has been the resourcing of the DA's office here in Milwaukee County. Uh, Far too long, it hasn't been resourced enough. The legislature in this last year, with the governor signing it, uh, increased salaries for prosecutors, and I hope that stems the tide of our attrition because, quite frankly, experience matters in these positions, and we need good, experienced prosecutors to handle tough cases each and every day. One of the things that we've all dealt with as a community across this country, across this world, is COVID. So uh, your job currently and your potential job as the uh, district attorney for the county of Milwaukee, how is like rebuilding or like reassessing or transforming our community after that pandemic? How does that figure into all of this? Right. It's very important. I think every every community, every region of the country has this challenge now. What what will they look like post-COVID? This, that's our opportunity here in Milwaukee County because we have so many good things happening from an economic development standpoint. And one reason why I want the public safety system to, w- to work more closely with the business community because ultimately economic development will drive public safety, but economic development also relies on public safety. So these two things go hand in hand. And moving forward post-COVID with all of the changes we've seen in what young professionals are looking for in communities, how people are working, uh, and and what people are seeking from a region will be the regions that succeed in working together to solve tough problems will be the ones that come out ahead. And we've got every reason to believe we could do that here in this region. You touched on it earlier. I want to get back to this after the next break here. Um, lessons learned from that gun unit and also the potential for red flag laws that actually work. What changes we can make as far as guns 
and, and, the, and the use of those guns in crime in Milwaukee. We'll continue this conversation after this on WTMJ. Public Safety Hour here on WTMJ. Annie Schwartz, law enforcement communications expert. Our special guest today, Kent Lover, and he's the chief deputy district attorney in the county of Milwaukee. He's running for DA. Uh, and the, um, I guess some of the questions that I, I want to ask you, a couple things I want to ask, and I know Annie's got a question too. So we, we talk about guns a lot. We mentioned it early in the program, and I mentioned red flag laws, and I think you did as well. What else can we do, I guess, is the question. We, you, you talked about the proliferation of people having illegal firearms and the fact that those folks, in some cases, are committing criminal acts. What can we actually do about that problem? Well, what we, what we have to do is, is respond to the cases that get brought into us that, that are, are provable, and we have to prosecute them to the fullest extent, and we have to seek um, jail and prison sentences for people using firearms. There's no question about that. At the same time, we have to recognize that the access to firearms is at a at a level now in this country like it's never been before, and and the difficulty law enforcement has each and every day um, with um, f- frankly getting cooperation sometimes from people who are who are themselves perhaps engaged in behavior that's not healthy themselves or could be dangerous themselves. They may not wish to cooperate. One thing we do in our office is, and I will continue this, of course, is sometimes we force people to come into court to testify in firearms cases, in these non-fatal shooting cases, because at the same time, they don't really have an option to say, I don't want to come to court if they're a witness to this. And and we have to really um, essentially demand their cooperation in these serious cases. Do you think I think that's a surprise to people. I think that's a surprise to people to know that that's the other part of this equation is that that you people have to come to court. Well, it's important to know that. I mean, sometimes I think people think that we can take a police report and and put that in front of the judge or a jury, and that's the entire case. The fact is, our cases rise or fall on people coming into court, taking the witness stand, and testifying in jury trials. That community cooperation is so essential to any success in the courtroom. Do you think red flag laws work? Uh, I think they can. I think they can be helpful. Again, sometimes it's hard to measure uh, prevention. Uh, I don't see why we shouldn't try to restrict firearms from the people who are in a crisis and their family members are recognizing that young people in firearms we, we can't put them in prison pretty much right uh we can at, at depending on their age we certainly recommend a 14 year old that's committing his first crime with a with a gun they're not going to go to jail uh it depends on the type of crime if it's a possession crime uh probably not if it's a use crime we recommend that they would be incarcerated usually at the detention center um or at some point they could be housed in a state facility at that age do you get frustrated in your position as the deputy district attorney about some of the challenges and limitations of of the job you can only do so much right well, there's no question about that. At the end of the day, I'm the type of person that always wants to uh, do better and and um, and have our system work better. And I always uh, try to look for efficiencies that will solve a problem, knowing we have limited resources. So, of course, at the same time, the job is too important and and the role is too important to get frustrated. We have to work with what we have and, and take that positive approach to getting the job done. One more break, and then we're going to finish our conversation with Kent Lover, and he's the chief deputy district attorney, county of Milwaukee, running for DA in Milwaukee, Annie Schwartz and Steve on this Wednesday on WTMJ. A few minutes left of our conversation with Kent Lover. He's the uh, current chief deputy district attorney for the county of Milwaukee, running for DA in Milwaukee County. Uh, Annie Schwartz. Yeah, I wanted to, to talk a little bit about, you know, whenever we, we talk to police chiefs, 
Uh, we always talk about the difficulty in recruiting. We know it's the, probably the number one concern of law enforcement right now is just finding enough people to do the job. When it comes to, to being a prosecutor, what are you finding as far as recruiting for your office? Well, we're fortunate to have many talented people who want to come into our office as prosecutors and who want to work in Milwaukee County. Uh, the difficulty is they're all young. They're all inexperienced. They have great attitudes, great work ethic, and great ethics in general, and uh, will make terrific public servants if we can keep them uh, once mm. they become experienced. And that's the ongoing challenge we have. All right. One of the big uh, items that people have been texting me about is the issues of reckless driving and car theft. How much can the DA's office do in this area? Well, what we can do is prioritize it as a violent crime. And, and as I said at the top of the hour, I feel that way very strongly, that reckless driving is a violent crime. You know, To borrow a phrase from a couple of old retired judges, you're literally uh, driving a 2,000-pound speeding bullet across the community, endangering everyone in your path. And that's that's something that we have to continue to recommend uh, removal from the community for engaging in that behavior and hope that judges follow those recommendations. And what does re- removal from the community mean exactly? It means you go to jail or you go to prison, uh, depending on the gravity of the offense uh, and your prior record. Why do you think we've seen an explosion of that in the last five years? Uh, I think in some ways it's it's the impulse of young people. Uh, I think, obviously, the, the ease with which you can um, steal some of these vehicles. Uh, I think there's uh, been a sense of uh, people not feeling part of a community. It doesn't justify any one bad act, of course, at all, but I do think that... Um, that I think people have lost, young people in particular, have lost a sense of being part of a community in a lot of ways. Do you get a, get a sense that much of our crime issues in this community, in any large city in America, is, is part of a greater issue in our country where we, we've seen children not supervised? We don't have the, and, and this is a, a big generalization, we've seen the influence of social media on kids and their ability to kind of gang together on, on digital platforms to kind of coordinate some of this stuff, especially with reckless driving. They're actually demonstrating they're doing this act and then putting it out on social media. Does that all contribute to this growing problem? Well, there's no question about that. I mean, the the um, benefit of that um, communication is it does provide evidence for law enforcement also to combat it. But the difficulty of trying to combat large groups of people working in concert with one another is certainly a phenomenon that we didn't see 10 years ago. I asked you the why question at the beginning, so I'm going to close with this one, and Annie may have another question as well. Um, if that, if you gave us your why, what's different about you? Why, why should we make you the next district attorney in Milwaukee? County? Well, I have a demonstrated commitment for 26 years of working hard to keep this county safer, number one. Number two, I will improve the uh, ongoing relationships we have with law enforcement. And number three, I understand, uh, have a good understanding of how business and economic development is important in this community and how we can better tie our public safety strategies to economic development. Just thought of another one. So with the uh, shared revenue bill, did that impact your office as well? Or were you part of the some sort of the benefits of sharing some of those of those tax dollars with Milwaukee County and City of Milwaukee, it is helpful because it helps uh, with the retention of county staff that we have. All of our attorneys are state employees. All of our support staff, investigators, victim advocates, paralegals, are all county staff, and so it helps with the stability of their employment in our office. One of the things I always like to ask uh, at the uh, at the end of of interviews for I think probably my whole career has been. Lot of, uh, we don't always get the happy news out of uh, out of the the DA's office, out of the police. In twenty six years, can you think of a best day? If if somebody says to you, can you think of your best day there? Well, I've had a lot of uh, great experiences over the years. Um, I think I would single out certainly the opening of Sojourner Family Peace Center because you had a large community there. 
public people, private people, business, nonprofit working together to develop a new model for public health and public safety that is now a model nationally. And I'm proud to have been a part of that. And I think that's a model, a blueprint for what we can do on a, a larger scale here and continuing to work with the, the larger community here in Milwaukee County. And that's exactly what I plan to do. We talked a lot about your public life. Personally, do you have a mission statement, a mantra that you follow, uh, someone you try to emulate, someone that mentored you to be the person you are today? You know, I, I'd say my uh, grandfather was it was somebody I would call a hero, and I don't have other real heroes, but he was a he grew up in the Depression. He served in World War II. He was a tail gunner in the Navy for a number of years, flew countless missions, and then came back to Wichita, Kansas, got married, raised five kids in a small house, and worked at Beechcraft Air for forty years. And he loved every day of his life. And he coached little league, and he was uh, you know a, a, a gentle spirit. Um, gentle in his demeanor and loved and respected by everyone. And he's, a, he's somebody who I've uh, admired and um, been grateful for uh, my entire life. The race itself. So you, you have to go out, you have to talk to people, you have to go meet people. Are you looking forward to that part of it? Absolutely. I, I appreciate um, re, uh, rekindling some relationships I've had. I uh, love meeting new people. Uh, I've been all over this county for years, and I appreciate all of the good things in this county. And, and frankly, I appreciate the civic pride that people have here. People want this place to be better. I want to give you a minute to speak to the citizens of Milwaukee County. Go. Well, I think it's important to understand that we all deserve to be safe each and every day in whatever community we live. And my commitment to everyone in this county is to do everything possible to make that a reality. The way we do that is by responding uh, strongly to violent crime, removing people who are hurting us each and every day, and by strengthening our relationship with community members, with community organizations in the neighborhoods, with law enforcement, and then by uh, tying our public safety work with uh, economic development strategies so that every neighborhood, every community in Wisconsin or in uh, southeastern Wisconsin and Milwaukee County can see the growth that we're seeing right now. Kent Lover and I appreciate you coming in. We've known each other for, I said, about 15 years, and you've always been very respectful in that relationship and helpful in, in the case of the uh, shooting in Oak Creek. So I uh, wish you luck in your race, and I uh, appreciate you taking the time to kind of go through some of these issues. There's a lot of complexity to crime and how we deal with these issues, and I, and I think you've brought a, a fresh perspective to this race, which I appreciate. And I'm so glad that you, you came in today, Kent. I, I have a, a unique position that I wasn't just a journalist who covered you once upon a time, but I worked with you side by side when I was at the police department, and I, 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 I learned a lot from, from watching you work and how to be better at that job. So I am, uh, I am I'm grateful to you for your service, and I'm, I'm looking forward to more, more from you in, uh, in the coming years. Well, thanks to both of you for having me. Kent Lover, he's the Chief Deputy District Attorney, County Milwaukee, running for DA in Milwaukee County.